0: Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to get all the info you need on the Vanderbilt Commodores. This is the Anchor Down Podcast with Vanderbilt reporter Max Hurd. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Max. On Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 1025, the game. And the game Nashville
1: It's time to anchor down and listen up. To the Anchor Down Podcast, right here on ESPN 1025 The Game and TheGameNashville.com. I'm your host, Max Herz. Let's talk all things Vanderbilt Commodores on this final night of September. The Anchor Down Podcast lives on TheGameNashville.com on demand. Click on Pod Center. Click on Anchor Down once you're there to see all of our episodes. New full length episodes every Monday. New shorter football preview episodes every Thursday in the fall. And we're over the air every Monday night for the duration of football season from 9 to 10 on 1025 The Game. So, however, you found us, whether you're listening online or listening over the dial or on the Game Nashville app, welcome. For the first time this year, and for the first time since we took over the 9 to 10 Monday night time slot here on 1025 The Game, we have a Vanderbilt football win to recap. Commodores went 0 3 in their hellish early season schedule but win their first game of the season this past Saturday at home at Vanderbilt Stadium. A little too close for comfort for some. A 24-18 victory against the Northern Illinois Huskies. Vanderbilt jumped ahead 14-0 in this game, led by as little as 14-10 before extending the lead to 24-10 early in the fourth quarter. Gave up a touchdown and a two-point conversion to Northern Illinois shortly thereafter, but hang on for the six-point victory. So Vanderbilt now 1-3 overall, remaining 0-2 in SEC play, heading into this weekend's road SEC venture. First time the Commodores will play a road conference game in 2019 as they travel to Ole Miss. That game will be at 6.30 Saturday, 6.30 Central Time. In Oxford, it'll be on the SEC Network. And we'll have a full preview on Thursday's episode here on the Anchor Down Podcast. On Mondays, we recap football, though. And that's what we're going to do today. We'll go drive-by-drive a little bit with how this one started. Vanderbilt scored on their first two drives in this game, including on the opening drive, period. Vanderbilt won the coin toss and took the ball. Matt Hasselbeck, perhaps, behind that decision. We want the ball, and we're going to score. Well, Vanderbilt took it, and they scored in just four plays. First play of the game, a 23-yard pass from Riley Neal to Cam Johnson. Johnson would be targeted frequently in this game for Vanderbilt. Came out of it with a career-high six catches. The redshirt freshman from Brentwood Academy. Six catches for 64 yards on nine targets. Vanderbilt's target share amongst their receivers and pass catchers. Interesting in this game. We'll get to that in our second segment. And is Vanderbilt targeting the proper receivers enough? That'll be on our second segment here on the Anchor Down podcast. So stick around for that with an examination of Jared Pinckney's involvement in the Vandy offense both in this past game and through all four games so far this season. First play of the game, Neil to Johnson for 23 yards. Two plays later, Keyshawn Vaughn, 59-yard catch and run for a Vanderbilt touchdown momentarily. It was called back on a Jared Pinckney holding. So the downfield penalty took away the long TD. Vaughn made the pretty easy catch, took off going about 10, 15 yards into the catch and run, broke a tackle, and was untouched from there, but that was right around where the holding was called on his tight end. So it comes back, Then shortly thereafter, second and 14 from Vanderbilt's own 39-yard line. It's not Vaughn, but rather the second running back true freshman, Keon Brooks. Just his 10th collegiate touch now for the primary backup behind Keyshawn Vaughn with Jamari Wakefield out for the season with a leg injury. Brooks got some great blocking from the Vanderbilt offensive line, which for the first time this season included the line's best player, left tackle Devin Cochran. Everyone other than Cochran forced their man right. Cochran held down the blind side. Well, no blind side on a run play, but blocked his man, giving Brooks a massive hole around the left guard spot. He took it, found the hole, 61-yard touchdown run. More than quadrupling. His collegiate output on just that one play. So less than two minutes in, it's 7-0 Vanderbilt. With redshirt freshman Javin Rice kicking the extra point. No Riley Gay, he's injured. Rice kicked the last extra point against LSU after Riley Gay got hurt. Rice hit all three of his extra points in this game and made his first collegiate field goal from 28 yards in the fourth quarter. 7 nothing Vandy, Commodore defense comes out. Forces a three and out after the kickoff, and the Commodores get the ball back in great field position. 22-yard punt return for Justice Shelton Mosley, the grad transfer from Havitt. He's wicked smart. Hasn't gotten a chance to run too many kicks back, especially punts, because Vanderbilt has lost the field position battle nearly all season in their opening losses. This time, a good return from Shelton Mosley, who only had one punt return in the first three games. Other than that, let them bounce or fair caught them. 22-yard punt return sets Vanderbilt up in plus, plus territory at the opponent's 31. They work the ball down into the red zone quickly, and Keyshawn Vaughn gets the one-yard touchdown rush. Five-play, 31-yard drive took less than three minutes, and six minutes and three seconds into the game, it was 14-0 Vanderbilt. And we were all laughing that the spread was only six and a half points in the Commodores' favor. Well, that was the majority of Vanderbilt's scoring. It all came early. The Commodore defense certainly had their moments, though. A player we've been high on on this program, redshirt freshman linebacker Elijah McAllister. Let me call him an edge rusher, whatever you want to call him. A linebacker, defensive end. He's gone back and forth this season in Vanderbilt's defensive fronts. McAllister with his first two collegiate sacks in this game. He's been playing a lot more time with the ones. McAllister, six foot six inches tall, weighs two hundred and fifty-eight pounds, wears uniform number 41, same as Zach Cunningham, an elite Commodore tackler, now a starting backer for the Houston Texans. And well, let's say he fits that jersey pretty well, both in terms of size, which was what initially caught my eye, seeing Elijah McAllister go through spring ball. And now backing it up with his play. He recovered the fumble in the end zone right before the end of the first half for a touchdown against LSU. Not only the right place at the right time, but a heads-up play to pick the ball up, keep his knee off the ground at the one-yard line, and get into the end zone on the defensive recovery as he rolled in. There's not a lot of time left in the half at that point, and if his knee had been down, Vanderbilt would have been going up against the clock a little bit, and of course, if you want to score, you can. So I liked that play two weeks ago, and then this weekend, Two sacks against a Northern Illinois offensive line that was at times overmatched by Vanderbilt's defensive front. So this is certainly a confidence building game for the Commodore defense as they go up against Ole Miss who held their own in the early stages against Alabama before ultimately being blown out by the Crimson Tide. They've got a freshman quarterback. So we'll see what Vanderbilt can do against an SEC opponent that is without a doubt a step down from the two SEC teams they've already faced in Georgia and LSU, who are both college football playoff contenders. Ole Miss is not that, but Vanderbilt will be going on the road. And they'll have some pluses to build off of on the defensive side of the ball. We'll have a comprehensive preview of the Vanderbilt matchup against Ole Miss and their freshman quarterback, John Rice Plumley. It's almost... Spin the wheel, spin the three random wheels, spin the slot machine with Ole Miss quarterback first, middle, last names. I just picture the crowd on Family Feud saying it. John, Rice, Plumley, and then everybody claps, and that's your Ole Miss quarterback name generator. Well, that's who the Commodores will be facing this weekend. We'll have our shorter preview edition of the Anchor Down podcast on Thursday. Right now, you're listening to our Anchor Down podcast recap of Vanderbilt's 24-18 win. Over Northern Illinois here on five The Game. Max here is your host. Vanderbilt defense did some good things in this game, as I said, but more problems with the pass defense. 280 yards, 17 for 32 allowed by the Commodores against Northern Illinois and Cal transfer quarterback Ross Bowers. A lot of that in the quick screen game, but some bigger plays. and The longest touchdown pass of the game for Northern Illinois. In fact, their only touchdown pass of their two scores was on a pretty ugly play for the Vanderbilt defense. Tight end Mitch Brinkman scored on a 38-yard catch and run from Bowers. That cut Vanderbilt's lead down to 14-10 halfway through the third quarter. That was as close as Northern Illinois would get before ultimately losing by six after the Commodores built their early 14-0 advantage. Brinkman guarded over the middle by Caleb Peart, Vanderbilt senior leader and linebacker, always been a great tackler. Brinkman caught the ball, Peart had his arms around him, and just let him go. Didn't do enough to stop forward progress. It wasn't really close. We didn't get to hear from Caleb Peart after the game, but if I had to venture a total uneducated guess based on what the play looked like, I guess he thought Brinkman had dropped the ball and the play was over and the pass was incomplete. I'm not sure. No one else had an opportunity to get him, so it goes from what should have been a five yard gain, not even a first down to a 38-yard touchdown. Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason was asked about it after the game, and, well, he didn't shy away from... I don't want to say how, how poor of a play it was, but he certainly didn't sugarcoat it. Here's Vanderbilt's football coach on a touchdown that should not have been against his Commodore defense. You know, I,
0: I look at this, and... At times, you know, everybody wants to you know, try to explain it away. You know, I just tell them to finish. Do your job. I mean, it's that simple. There's so many times, and, and, and I'm not minimizing it, but, you know, football is a very simple game that we can make very, very hard. I mean, if you don't know, tackle it. If you know, I mean, no, don't, know. I really don't care. Just tackle it, okay? I mean, it, even if you're tackling, we'll, we'll, we'll live with whatever happens afterwards. But, you know, one of those plays where that's a first for me. It truly is a guy in the grasp, and and and, and, and uh, he steps out, and I don't know if he thought he heard a whistle or whatever. But listen, I'm just glad I'm talking about it on the other side of a win because if that if, if that's the the one of those plays, man, that you're talking about in a loss, that's a that's a tough pill to swallow.
1: Yeah, that would not have been fun to talk about after a Vanderbilt loss to Northern Illinois. That if it had happened, would have dropped Vandy to 0 4. But Vanderbilt did hang on to win 24 18. Remaining score for the Commodores after that touchdown that got an IU to 14-10. A flea flicker, handoff to Keyshawn Vaughn, underhand scoop back to the quarterback, Riley Neal, and 38 yards down the right side for Kalijah Lipscomb, who gets in to make it 21-10, Vandy. Lipscomb led Vanderbilt with 94 receiving yards and seven catches, had the lone receiving touchdown of the game from Riley Neal, who was 21 out of 28 Again, majority shorter throws, but some good ones. Completed his first 12. 21 for 28, 189 yards, a touchdown. At 38-yard, Flea Flicker play to Lipscomb, was his longest. Play before that, Keyshawn Vaughn had a big gain, but fumbled. Thankfully for Vanderbilt, the ball bounced along the turf, over to the sideline and out of bounds on a loose ball that really only the Huskies had a chance at recovering, and they did have a shot at it. But the Commodores with a good answer. Vaughn right in the middle of the flea flicker, so give him the hockey assist on that one. (laughs) Funny moment after the game. Kalijah Lipscomb was asked about the touchdown catch on the flea flicker. (laughs) I'll include the question that Kalaja answered literally. Just enjoy. Kalaja, walk us through the flea flicker. Start to finish. I lined up. (laughs) 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 Good stuff from Kalaja Lipscomb. Funny moment there in the Vanderbilt football press conference after the Doors' 24 18 win over Northern Illinois. After Vanderbilt's field goal, put the Commodores up 24 10. NIU scores, goes for two, trailing by eight for absolutely no true football reason at all. They get it, so it's 24-18 with under 12 minutes left. Commodores hang on, but what a ridiculous time to go for two. I guess it's instead of going for two and the win, if they score again later, a little bit less pressure. Vanderbilt didn't spend a timeout to prepare for it, which you figure they do if it's truly for the lead, so I imagine that's the thinking from Coach Thomas Hammock and NIU. But also, Vanderbilt was favored by 6.5 in this game. So that two-point conversion, since nobody scored in the final 11:44, determined the betting outcome. Pretty funny. And this is a total falsehood. I would love if it were true. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I would like to think that someone in the MAC conference office told all the teams, hey, if you're, if you're going to go on the road against these Power 5 schools, against an SEC school, even if you're not going to win, just cover. Just coach to cover. and now that betting lines are no longer taboo in the world of sports conversation, sports television, sports media, it doesn't seem like the most unbelievable thing ever. That'd be funny. We're going to take a break, come back. One thing we didn't hear yet from Derek Mason in that post-game press conference, the circumstances surrounding Keyshawn Vaughn's 17 carries and 138 yards plus the touchdown. His first child was delivered the night before. Tell you everything we know about that after this. And also, examine the target share with Vanderbilt's wide receivers. Plenty more Vandy football talk coming on the other side. This is the Anchor Down podcast with me, Max Hers. You can find all our episodes online. Go to thegamenashville.com, our website. Click on Pod Center, where you can see all of our podcasts here at the station. And then click on Anchor Down. That'll take you to our SoundCloud page where you can. Here, all of our old episodes. We're over the air every Monday night, 9 to 10. Here on ESPN, 102.5 The Game. This is the Anchor Down Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Anchor Down Podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. I'm your host, Max Erz, talking Vanderbilt football's 24-18 win over Northern Illinois this past weekend. Vandy now 1-3 overall on the season, and their running back continues to be their best player on either side of the ball. That's fifth-year senior, Pearl Cone High School graduate, and transfer back home from Illinois in his second year of playing for the Commodores, third year on campus, The man they call the Mamba, Keyshawn Vaughn. And we found out immediately after the game, in which Keyshawn Vaughn ran for 138 yards on 17 carries and a touchdown to go with three receptions for eight yards. Also had a long receiving touchdown called back early on in the game, as we detailed in the first segment. We learned the special circumstances surrounding Vaughn's big day.
0: Uh, proud of what, you know, when I saw from Keyshawn Vaughn today, he was a little sore, he was a little uh, dinged up, man, but, you know, he's a warrior. And, um, man, I definitely appreciate, uh, you know, his mentality. Last night his son Keelan was born uh, at at around 7. So that young man stayed at the hospital last night uh, with his his newborn son and uh, had a chance to come over this morning, so he had a lot on his mind. And man, um, I, I appreciate him for the warrior he is.
1: Certainly none of us saw that coming from Derek Mason. This one of the first things he said in his press conference after the Commodore win. I mean, that takes you back. That really does. Keyshawn Vaughn had his son Keelan. Born about 15 hours before kickoff at 7 p.m. Friday night before an 11 a.m. Saturday kickoff. Spent the majority of the night in the hospital. Sounds like everything went well. I don't think we would have heard about it if not. So congratulations to all involved. Keyshawn's great family, who seems to take over Vanderbilt Stadium with their presence at the <laughs> at the pregame festivities, the Star Walk, and taking over the Vanderbilt, not just parents, but family section because the Vaughn crew rolls pretty deep. We've heard it from the Vanderbilt players. Every time they see anyone... Who identifies them as a Vanderbilt football player, both in and out of Nashville. Jared Pinckney tweeted something about this this summer when he was in Georgia. Do you play football at Vanderbilt? Yeah, I do. Do you know Keyshawn? So the man's got a lot of friends, a lot of great people on his side. And now he's got a son. Derek Mason declined to give too many details about what he deems to be a personal matter. And of course it is for Keyshawn. But he did have this to say a little bit of advice that he gave to his running back and new father before he went out onto the field Saturday
0: I'll tell you what I told him last night I said you know when you have your child and you hold your child in your arms you realize okay man everything around you now is bigger than you your work becomes a little bigger your drive becomes a little bigger your purpose everything that you do matters and he hugged me and you know when I left him alone
1: Point very well made by Derek Mason. And I think about it in the context context as well of Keyshawn Vaughn preparing to be drafted into the NFL and playing a position that's draft stock has plummeted in recent years, which means he is probably going to be making less money on his rookie deal and whatever signing bonus he may get into the pro football ranks than he would if he did the exact same things he did in college, but 10 or 15 years ago. And Vaughn had the opportunity to go last year. Got a draft grade and advice from both the football side and the personal side that it probably made sense for him to stay. And he's been confident that he made the correct decision. He'll be graduating from Vanderbilt in December. He is now a father. And, of course, every year there, there's always at least one or two great family stories of draftees on the older side, like Vaughn, 22, 23 years old, fifth-year seniors, who have young children. And it's always cool to see the family involvement in that and how much it means. And I think Derek Mason certainly struck the correct tone with that advice that he gave Keyshawn Vaughn. Everything is suddenly bigger than yourself, both in a personal, lifelong, and football context. So congratulations to Keyshawn Vaughn and his family, young son Keelan. I imagine as soon as Keelan is able, we will be seeing him at Vanderbilt Stadium and on the road Adding another number to Keyshawn Vaughn's deep crew. Going to take a break. Come back. Talk about a group for Vanderbilt that hasn't quite been as deep. That's the receiving core. Where is Jared Pinckney? Where are his targets? We'll hear from Coach Mason and a man who is getting more targets, deservedly so, Kalijah Lipscomb, on that topic. That's on the other side here on the Anchor Down podcast. With me, Max Herz, on ESPN 1025 The Game. The Anchor Down podcast, podcast is on. Welcome back to the Anchor Down Podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. I'm your host, Max Herz, recapping Vanderbilt football's 24 18 win over Northern Illinois at Dudley Field, Vanderbilt Stadium on Saturday. This is the Anchor Down Podcast. New episodes online every Monday on the game nashville.com click on pod center and click on anchor down from there to see our full episode archives we cover vanderbilt baseball year round on the anchor down podcast the vandy boys will be on the field as you listen to this over the air on monday night from 9 to 10 on 1025 the game they will be back on the field a week from tomorrow tuesday october the 8th vanderbilt baseball will begin their on field fall training sessions that's later than most schools actually had a pretty good interview about this last year with Vanderbilt baseball strength coach Chris Ham. Vanderbilt extended starting in the fall of 2018, so the beginning of last season, which by the way ended with a national championship. They extended their conditioning period in the fall, pushing back the date they officially go onto the field for more strength and conditioning time. The response was very strong from the players and coaches, and they're sticking with it this year. To nobody's surprise. Commodores will play two fall exhibitions on the baseball side. One will be a neutral side exhibition in Kansas City through the Negro League Baseball Museum, which will be an awesome experience for the teams involved. Vanderbilt and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State coached by former Vanderbilt hitting coach Josh Holliday. Those two played two exhibitions in Nashville last season, went line dancing the night in between. This time they will have a more baseball-centric off-field experience together. You're allotted two fall exhibitions by the NCAA. This began last year. They played both against each other last year, which was uncommon. The majority of teams play one against one opponent and one against a second opponent, usually separated by a few weeks. So they'll go with that approach this year. So those two will meet in Kansas City. And then to close out the fall period before the black and gold intra squad series, Vanderbilt will welcome Michigan. Of course, Michigan, the team Vanderbilt beat in the College World Series finals this past. June, but also the reason they're playing them, like Oklahoma State, led by a former Vanderbilt hitting coach and assistant coach, Eric Bakich, Tim Corbin's first top assistant at Vanderbilt, will come down here Sunday, November the 10th at 10 a.m. Be the final fall tune-up against another uniform for the Commodores. Moral of the story for now, though, is the team will be back on the field a week from tomorrow, and on next Monday's podcast, we'll have an interview to get you ready for that. We talk Vanderbilt baseball year-round. As it should be done here on the podcast, if you want to hear more from Omaha over the course of last season and the offseason, again, thegamenashville.com, click on Pod Center. click on Anchor Down for archived episodes of the Anchor Down podcast with me, Max Herz. 9 to 10 Monday nights is where you can hear us over the year on 1025 The Game. Let's get to the last portion of our Vanderbilt football discussion, 24-18 win over Northern Illinois. But in the win, fifth-year senior tight end Jared Pinkney, one of the best tight ends in the country as deemed early in the season by national outlets, SEC voters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pinckney remains mysteriously absent in the pass game. How about this? Jared Pinckney, in Vanderbilt's first win of the season, a single reception for one yard, and he was targeted twice. Riley Neal, through 28 passes in the game, completed 21. Just one of the 21 completions was to his tight end. And just two of the 28 pass attempts were intended for Jared Pinkney. Here's the target share, player by player, for Vanderbilt in the win. Cam Johnson, nine targets for the redshirt freshman wideout, six catches, 64 yards. Kaleidja Lipscomb, eight targets, seven receptions, 94 yards, and a touchdown for the senior leader of this wide receiver core. Nine for Johnson, eight for Lipscomb. Three targets for Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back. Two targets apiece for Jared Pinkney, Justice Shelton Mosley, and C.J. Bowler. One target for backup running back Keon Brooks, which was a catch, and one target that went for an incompletion to wide receiver Chris Pierce. Johnson, nine. Lipscomb, eight. Nobody else targeted more than twice. If there's going to be such a big divide between the guys seeing a lot of balls thrown their way and those who aren't, Jared Pinkney needs to be in that top group. Pinkney this season... 10 catches for 120 yards and no touchdowns through four games. 10 catches, 120 yards, and four touchdowns through four games. 61 of those 120 yards, so more than half, came against Purdue. Two receptions, 11 yards on three targets in the opener against Georgia. Pinckney was the fifth most frequently targeted Vanderbilt receiver or pass catcher in that game behind Lipscomb, Vaughn Bowler and James Bostick who had four targets with the second-team offense on the field in garbage time. Second game against Purdue, those 61 yards, accounting for more than half of his receiving yards on the season. Three catches got him there, and there were no targets given for that game. It's depending on the home team, whether or not targets are put in the official stats, Purdue did not put them in. Vanderbilt has for all four of their home games, though, against LSU. Four catches for 47 yards and six targets for Pinckney. Six targets in that game is his season high. He was second. Find Khalidja Lipscomb, who was thrown to 10 times in that game. And then this past week against Northern Illinois, a single reception for one yard, targeted twice, and visibly frustrated. Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason was asked about Jared Pinckney's usage after the win.
0: Again, I will tell you, okay, I mean, we, we started with two series where we go down and score. Then after that, okay, it's almost three and out every series. Okay, so with that being said, I told, him, I told him at halftime, we have to make sure guys only get touches, okay, if, if, if we can cycle through, you know, downs, if we can put ourselves in a position to move the ball down the field. And we didn't. So, you know, I, I mean, this isn't, this isn't the Jared Pinkney show, okay? I mean, it's a football game. And, and, and he's given up enough of himself, you know, in this game, you know, and the warrant touches, we just got to do a better job all the way around of making sure that, that those things come his way. There's better opportunities. There's more opportunities for him, man, but football is an 11-man game. So, you know, I mean, we'll take it. We'll go tomorrow, and then we'll look at it. And like I said, we'll come back next week, and Jared Pinkney will have an opportunity. But, you know, we're just going to run our offense.
1: Pretty telling quote from Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason on tight end Jared Pinckney, who was targeted just twice and had one reception for a single yard. On the 24-18 win over Northern Illinois on Saturday. As you listen to the Anchor Down podcast, you're on 102.5 The Game. This is not the Jared Pinckney show. We're just going to run our offense. And yeah, Vanderbilt's offense outside of the three touchdown drives, which were rather quick. Three plays. A Correction, four plays for the first touchdown. Five plays for the second touchdown. And four plays for the third touchdown. So those were quick touchdown drives. The field goal drive was 10 plays. That was actually the only double-digit play drive for either side in this game. But after those two early touchdowns, Eric Mason is right. They didn't get the offense going. Five straight punts on drives three through seven for the Commodores after they built the 14-0 lead that shrunk to 14-10. That streak of five punts ended on the touchdown drive they made at 21-10 on the flea flicker to Kalijah Lipscomb. But they did run enough plays, 54 of them, in fact, 54 plays, 373 total yards of offense for Vanderbilt. They ran enough offensive plays to not only get Kalijah Lipscomb the amount of targets that he deserves. Number one receiver was targeted eight times, as I said, for seven catches, 94 yards and a touchdown. They ran enough plays to double Cam Johnson's career high in receptions. He'd never caught more than three in a game before in either of his games last year or any of the first three games this year as a redshirt freshman after he got hurt and missed the remainder of 2018 after playing in four games. Enough to redshirt under the new NCAA rule. Johnson, like Lipsum, is getting the targets he deserved. He played as Vanderbilt's number 2 wide receiver in this game. Six catches on nine targets for 64 yards. Those are both good things. Those guys should not be seen as stealing targets from Jared Pinckney. No one is stealing targets from Jared Pinckney. He's just not being found enough. So again, I, I don't think there was any excuse making going on there from Derek Mason. But the fact that they're going three and out and they're not scoring and they're not putting together long drives doesn't mean that <laughs> doesn't mean that they're all SEC and potentially top five in the country tight end, potential first or second round pick in the NFL draft this year doesn't mean he can't get more passes thrown his way. It's been odd. It's been intriguing so far this season. We heard the big three, and we haven't had any game where all three of the big three have even been given an opportunity to go off for Vanderbilt. Kaleja Lipscomb, the number one receiver and a member of the big three, was asked about how many passes are going Jared Pinckney's way after the Commodores won without much service from their tight end. The Tennesseeans Adam Sparks to Elijah Lipscomb in the postgame press conference Saturday. Should we monitor? Does that matter that much? Of, that all three guys are getting catches. Does that make a difference in a
0: win? I mean, Jerry Ping is an awesome playmaker. I think I think Coach Mason addressed that already. Um, you know, well, I think going forward, everybody's going to get the, their proper amount of touches.
1: I think going forward, everybody's going to get their proper amount of touches. As if it needed to be said, it didn't. But that is a firm acknowledgement that Jared Pinckney, in the eyes of his teammates, and presumably his as well, is not getting the ball enough. Thought that was very interesting to hear from Kalijah Lipscomb, who, you heard the joke he cracked earlier, being asked to to walk us through his touchdown play-by-play. He goes first. I lined up. We'll play it again for anybody who missed it, anybody tuning in. Kalijah Lipscomb, a lighter moment about his touchdown in the post-game press conference. Kalijah, walk us through the flea flicker
0: Start to finish, I lined up. <laughs> I, in motion.
1: I lined up. I went in motion. I wanted to hear him keep going. That was funny. So, I mean, we know Kalaja Lipscomb has a sense of humor. All these guys do. We just don't get to see it enough. We don't even get to see their faces enough behind those football helmets. Wish we got to hear more from those guys. And I actually said earlier on this season, Kind of not complaining about this fact, but regretting. I mean, we want to hear more from these players. We want to get to know them. We want to see their faces. We want to learn their personalities. We want to know everything about every guy on the roster, like we feel like we do with basketball, like we feel like we do with the starters in baseball, because there are fewer players. We see their faces. We see them... We see them emoting more. I mean, we see lighter moments, and it doesn't happen as much with football just because of the nature of the game, the big game nature of every time they take the field. There are fewer casual moments, especially in college football, where we don't know every player's name. The players are moving on after four years. There's going to be someone, even on your team, the team you follow closely, there's going to be someone you've never heard of or hadn't heard of before the season who's going to make a great play. Hey, guess what? This guy just did that. This guy just had a pick six. This guy just blocked a punt. But who is that? We don't know anything about them. And what I was saying earlier this season is we're finally getting to the point with Vanderbilt's maturing stars on offense that we're really getting to know these guys as much as we want to. And Jared Pinkney, first and foremost with Keyshawn Vaughn in a close second and Kalijah Lipscomb right there as well. Jared Pinckney was topping that list. We were getting to learn everything about Jared Pinckney. At SEC Media Days, personality was off the charts. Watching all the interviews with him, this is a guy that's being spotlighted for all the right reasons. He's not afraid to show himself. He's not afraid to make people laugh. And he's not afraid to reveal things personally. He's not afraid to talk ball either. So that was great, and then all of a sudden, he's not playing as much as he should. And his snap count hasn't been down. He's been on the field, and Vanderbilt has used other blocking tight ends. Cody Markell, Ben Bresnahan have been in the game. This past weekend against Northern Illinois, Markell did not suit up. We saw Bryce Bailey and O-Lineman flip his uniform number from 78 to 87 so he could line up as an eligible receiver and be another blocking tight end. So it's not like Pinckney is being asked to be a primary blocker a lot on pass plays. I mean, he's he's not blocking at all on pass plays. He's blocking on run plays, which is part of his job. But Vanderbilt is sending him out in routes, out in patterns, and Riley Neal is not getting him the ball. And it would take a more intense dive than we have the ability to get with how tightly the film is held to go back through and go, here's Jared Pinkney. here's where he should have gotten the ball. Here's where he didn't get the ball. Here was his one catch of the game on the first play of Vanderbilt's third drive in the first quarter. He was targeted again in the fourth quarter. On an incompletion, the last play before Javin Rice's field goal that made it 24-10. Boy, does Vanderbilt need to get pink near the ball. I, I don't know if right now this offense can even contend in an SEC game without him. With maybe the exception of Kentucky. Ole Miss next week is a winnable game. Ole Miss next week is a very winnable game for Vanderbilt football, even though it's on the road. We'll see if they can do it. It would be a big, big win for Vanderbilt, and it would be a big push towards bowl eligibility with two games they should win in the non-conference at home still remaining, UNLV. By the way, that game against UNLV two Saturdays from now on October the 12th will be at 3 o'clock. Got the TV time for that one earlier today. Saturday, October the 12th, 3 o'clock Central Time at Vanderbilt Stadium on the SEC Network. Before that, though, Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. Saturday night, this Saturday, October the 5th, 6.30 6.30 Central down in Oxford at the Grove, Von hemingway Stadium. Also on the SEC Network. We'll preview that game on Thursday's podcast. Told you we'll have more baseball coming your way next week. New interview with Vanderbilt ball players. They get ready for fall ball. For our final segment here on the Anchor Down podcast on this final Monday of September here on 102.5 The Game. Get you ready for postseason. The MLB playoffs start this week. A couple of Andy boys are in the postseason. The old freshman year roommates, Dansby Swanson and Walker Buehler, are both there. Dansby's healthy this time. Didn't get to make his MLB playoff debut last season with a wrist injury. His Bravos lost to Walker Buehler and the Dodgers in the NLDS in four games. Glad Dansby will be healthy this time around. We'll see if they get through long enough to face Walker B. and the Dodgers, who have the top seed in the NL. And we'll be facing the wild card winner to get things started. We'll get you ready for the MLB playoffs and give you the final numbers on how Vanderbilt's Major League Baseball alums did this season as they set a program record with 15 Vandy boys who played in a Major League game this year. Wow. Vandy boys talk on the other side. This is Max Herz, your Anchor in Down and listening up to the Anchor Down podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. This is... The Anchor Down Podcast. Welcome back to the Anchor Down Podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Ready or not Omaha, Nebraska by Bowling for Soup. The eternal college World Series anthem means we're going to talk some Fandy Boys baseball. The Major League regular season ended this week. Vanderbilt baseball set a program record with 15 players appearing in a Major League game this season. We're going to go through all of them, what they did this year. Two of them, Walker Bueller and Dansby Swanson, will be in the playoffs. Again, a new program record with Mike Yastrzemski and Sam Selman, a couple of minor league journeymen making their major league debuts this year. We'll go alphabetical order, sandwiched by a couple of San Francisco Giants, Tyler Beattie, to Mike Yastrzemski. Here are the 15 Vanderbilt baseball players and what they did in the majors this year. Tyler Beatty joined the Giants' rotation for good in June. Ended up starting 22 games out of 24 appearances. 117 innings in his first full major league season. He will be competing for a starting rotation job next spring. Walker Bueller setting the pace in terms of the 15 Vandy boys who had the best season. Second full major league season for the Dodgers starter. 14 4 record. Two complete games. 182 and a third innings of work. And in those 182 and a third innings. Unbelievable strikeout-to-walk ratio. 215 strikeouts to just 37 walks for Bueller, who's becoming one of the best pitchers in baseball. First-time All-Star this season. If last season's World Series was his coming-out moment, this year was his proof. He will be in the postseason as the Dodgers take on the winner of the Wild Card game between the Nats and Brewers in the National League Division Series. As we go through the 15 Vanderbilt baseball players in the majors this season, third up alphabetically is Kurt Casale, part of the Vandy boys reunion in Cincinnati with Sonny Gray. Caught 84 games for the Reds this year, 251 batting average, 331 on base percentage, 411 slugging for a 741 OPS. His brother Chase, a student manager on the national championship team this past spring. Ryan Flaherty, flash, back in the majors in September, the 15th and final Vandy boy to get into a game for the first time this year. September call-up after spending the majority of his season with the AAA Columbus Clippers. Flaherty's still a ball player for sure. Carson Fulmer, former first-round pick of the White Sox, spent most of the season in their bullpen. 18 relief appearances out of 20 times on the bump. 626 ERA. They want him to be in the bullpen in the big leagues from the beginning next year. Mention that Reds reunion. How about Sonny Gray, the year he had? Best pitcher on the Reds staff. Reunited with his college pitching coach at Vandy. Derek Johnson becomes the Reds pitching coach. Gray traded from the Yankees where he had some struggles to the Reds where he found success again. 11-8 record, 287 earned run average in 31 starts, 175 and a third innings pitch for Sonny Gray, 205 strikeouts, just 68 walks, and he was unhittable towards the end of the year. He was the Reds' all-star representative. Sonny Gray from Vanderbilt and Smyrna to the Cincy Reds' ace this season. Tony Kemp spent his year between the Houston Astros, who... Ran out of roster spots for him; had to waive him. The Chicago Cubs claimed him. Had a big walk-off home run late in the season while the Cubs were still in it. Hit two twelve combined this year. Eight homers for the Stros and the Cubbies. For one of the most valuable players in Vanderbilt baseball history, Mike Miner had a similar season to Sonny Gray. Became an ace, opening day starter for the Rangers. Started thirty-two games. Took his turn every time through. Fourteen and ten record for Texas. 359 ERA, 208 in the third innings, exactly 200 strikeouts. Happened a little controversially this past week. His infielders let a foul ball fall safely to the turf on a ball they could have caught so Miner could get another shot at his 200 strikeout and the milestone, the round number, and he got it. That angered some in Red Sox Nation on the other side, but you gotta love it. What a moment for baseball and for Mike Miner. On the other side of the coin as we go through the 15 Vanderbilt players who played in the majors this year, David Price made a lot of Red Sox fans happy this season. 22 starts, 7-5 record. and record, 4 eight earned run average for DP, whose Vanderbilt pride shows no bounds at the major league level. Perhaps the second best story behind Walker Buehler this year of these 15 Vanderbilt players is Brian Reynolds. Called up by the Pirates on April the 20th to make his major league debut. Thought he was going to be up for a week in place of the injured Starling Marte. Well, I don't think he's ever going to play another minor league game again. Reynolds hit 314 on the season, 377 on base, 503 slugging percentage for an 880 OPS. Ended up playing in 134 games for the Pirates. Played all but 11 games that he was on the roster for. Best player on the team in a pretty tough Pirates season. But what a rookie year for Brian Reynolds, who is a big leaguer for years and years to come from Brentwood High School and Vanderbilt Baseball. Sam Selman made his Major League debut this year for the San Francisco Giants. 28-year-old, finally got the call after being drafted in the second round in 2012 out of Vanderbilt, made his Major League debut on August the 1st of this year, pitched in 10 games out of the bullpen, 10 and a third innings, 435 earned run average, and a 116 whip for Selman, one of two Giants to make their Major League debut from Vanderbilt this year. Dansby Swanson starting shortstop for the Braves. He'll be in the postseason as the Braves will... Play in the National League Division Series against the Cardinals. A lot of Nashville fans on both of those sides. Dansby this year, 127 games for the Bravos, hit 251, 325 on base percentage, 422 slugging percentage with 17 dingers, and 65 runs batted in. Drew Verhagen pitched in 22 games for the Detroit Tigers, made four starts, 590 year in run average for a Tigers team that struggled this season. Last in all of baseball. Yeah, it wasn't the Orioles, it wasn't the Marlins, it was the Tigers. Drew Verhagen, an innings eater for them this year. Kyle Wright, up and down with the Braves this season. Pitched in seven regular season games. Four starts, 19 and two-thirds innings. Want to try and solidify him into their rotation next year. Again, first-round pick out of Vanderbilt in 2017. Fifth overall with Dansby and the Braves. We went A to Z, well, B to Y, BD to Yastrzemski. Sam Selman made his Major League debut for the Giants. So did Mike Yastrzemski. Yastrzemski made his Major League debut on May the 25th of this year after being drafted in the 14th round in 2013 by the Orioles, traded to the Giants after... Spending five full years in the Orioles' system during spring training this year, gets his call with the Giants, and absolutely makes it count. Played in 107 games for San Francisco, 21 homers, 55 runs batted in, 272 average, 334 on base, 518 slugging for Mike Yastrzemski. And, of course, we all saw the moment. The home run at Fenway Park, the standing ovation for an opposing player where his grandfather Mike Yastrzemski played and was one of the greats ever in Boston sports. There you go, BDD Skremsky, 15 Vandy boys in the majors this season. Whew, got them all. Swanson and Bueller in the playoffs, we'll keep you updated as they go. Plenty of Vanderbilt baseball coverage coming your way through the Major League offseason, and there is no offseason for the Vandy boys. They're back on the field for fall ball next week, and we got you covered here on the Anchor Down Podcast. You've been anchoring down and listening up with me, Max Hers. It's the Anchor Down Podcast on ESPN, 102.5 The Game.